Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. History Hub is based at the University College Dublin School of History. For more information on History Hub and to download many more podcasts, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. Brian Shane is the Mary Ball Washington Professor of American History at University College Dublin, a Fulbright Scholar and Associate Professor of History at Ohio University. In this episode, part five of his five-part series on Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, The Life and Death of a Statesman With Malice Towards None As our world today knows, civil wars are brutal, not just when they are fought, but for long afterwards as well. Lincoln had urged his generals to pursue Confederate forces hard, and by 1864 he had instilled generals like William Tecumseh Sherman and Ulysses S. Grant who were determined to break the Confederate will as well as its armies. Yet as that war wound down, Lincoln began looking for ways to build bridges into the South, laying the groundwork for reconciliation. Already in an effort to show unity and to appeal to Southerners, Lincoln's party had selected one of the few loyal major Southern politicians from a Confederate slave state, Tennessean Andrew Johnson, as his running mate, on a Unionist ticket. That political election looked ill-fated until late summer and early fall 1864 when Union victories in Virginia, Mobile Bay in the Gulf of Mexico, and most especially Atlanta, Georgia, created new enthusiasm that the war might yet be winnable. That and a massive soldier vote sealed Lincoln's re-election. As the Confederate political apparatus had been made to look weak to its people, the unions had emerged strong. Yet Lincoln was careful not to gloat. His second inaugural, delivered in March 1865, he declared, with malice toward none, with charity for all, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. By April 1865, after a nearly nine-month siege, the Confederate lines protecting its capital in Richmond were broken and Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia fled the area. The Confederate government fled with it. Much of the capital, including about 90% of the commercial district, lay in ruins because as, as Southern armies destroyed supplies, a toxic mix of alcohol, tobacco, and munitions burned much of it to the ground. Upon hearing of the city's fall, Lincoln purportedly declared, Thank God I have lived to see this. And he took his son Tad, then celebrating his 12th birthday, with him to see firsthand. Just two days after the city was surrendered, Lincoln and his, and his son were led into the former Confederate capital by Union soldiers. White observers coldly stared down from windows, but multiple eyewitness accounts suggest the city's African-American community were jubilant. Many previously free blacks, as well as many more newly emancipated slaves, rushed to the president, wishing to shake his hands. One African-American reporter For a Philadelphia paper recorded a woman saying, I know that I am free, for I have seen Father Abraham and felt him. African Americans joined hands in a ring and sang an old Methodist spiritual, after which Lincoln continued on his way, eventually ending up at the White House of Jefferson Davis, where he sat at the very desk that his opponent had tidied up just a few days prior. He reportedly asked for a glass of water. When the general later asked how the conquered should be treated, he responded, If I were in your place, I'd let him up easy. Let him up easy. Indeed, he had recently conveyed the same message to his generals. 
there was to be no bloodletting or violent retribution. After his final meeting with Lincoln in early April 1865, General William Tecumseh Sherman, neither a sentimental man nor necessarily a forgiving one, reported that he left more than ever impressed by Lincoln's kindly nature, his deep and earnest sympathy with the afflictions of the whole people resulting from the war and by the march of hostile armies through the South, and that his earnest desire seemed to be to end the war speedily without more bloodshed or devastation and to restore all the men of both sections to their homes. Lincoln's vision for the nation included room now for African Americans and former domestic enemies. His own life had suggested the capability of the former rising up to contribute, and he indicated that certainly the 200,000 African American soldiers who fought for the Union and other highly educated blacks deserved that right. His knowledge of human nature suggested that unnecessary pain generated counterproductive effects. It was a hard war, but was to be a soft peace. Unfortunately, his successor, Andrew Johnson, a Democrat before the war, would make it too soft a peace, one that did not include making greater civil rights a priority for African Americans. Johnson's inability to work with Congress gave Confederate white supremacists hope, and within a decade, they gutted the civil rights legislation that Lincoln's Republican Party had managed to push through. Most white Southerners called it redemption, but for many African Americans, it was more like a return to hell. We never will know what would have happened if Lincoln had not been assassinated. We do not know if he could have carved out a peace that brought reconciliation and meaningful rights for African Americans. We do not know if his presidency would have succumbed to the many tensions that continued to exist after the Civil War. What we do know, however, is that by the war's end, Lincoln had proven his critics wrong time again. The Union had remained strong. Republicanism fought and won an unimaginably bloody war. In death, Lincoln's stature rose to new heights. Lincoln had had to sneak into Washington, D.C. before his inauguration in 1861. In death, however, after a state funeral, the casket bearing his body began a nearly 1,650-mile train ride. The martyred president's body would travel through seven states, passing through 444 grieving communities. 150 years ago, tens of thousands of New Yorkers lined the streets to mourn the loss of a man who many had scorned just the previous year. While the main port of entry for Irish immigrants mourned the loss of their man, here in Ireland the first news of Lincoln's death arrived. Lincoln became the focal point of many Dublin commemorations, but several astute commentators quite appropriately drilled down more specifically to the nature of the government Lincoln had fought to preserve. The Belfast-based Ulster Observer noted that the loss of the President of the United States is great, but the Constitution can repair it. Republics were free from the perils besetting countries where power is centered on an individual or a dynasty, it concluded. A Dublin meeting drew an even finer point and a revealing comparison. If the Emperor of the French were to be assassinated, France would be in a revolution and all Europe would be shaken to its center. The assassination of the President of the United States will, as far as we can forecast, be attended with no such terrible results. The reason is easy to be discovered, they concluded. In the one case, Napoleon, the nation is the creature of the man. In the other, the United States, the man was the creature of the nation. Lincoln had been right. The American Civil War had been a war in which the principles of republicanism and nationhood were tested. One could only imagine the history that would have occurred 
if the Confederacy had succeeded, or if, conversely, Lincoln, the good man and great statesman, had lived. We hope you enjoyed this History Hub podcast. To receive updates on the latest History Hub podcasts and papers, please subscribe to our mailing list on historyhub.ie.